0: I'm Aaron Broadus, and you're listening to the Maine Fly Fishing Podcast. Join me as I talk shop with some of Maine's most influential and passionate fly fishing folks about our diverse fisheries that make Maine such a special place to cast a fly. On today's episode, you'll get to learn a little bit more about me and my fly fishing obsession. I'll be talking about my aspirations for the show, as well as telling some stories about being a young fly fishing guide in Maine. Good morning here from Southern Maine. It is December 8th. It's a Sunday and it's a brisk 21 degrees outside. Uh, Welcome to the show. I'm really excited to kind of finally be putting this together. It's been something I've been thinking about doing for a long time and uh, I'm just, I'm excited to be doing it. So um, this first segment is going to be all about me. It's going to be my thing and kind of what my hopes are for the show and kind of learn a little bit more about me and uh, I'm excited to see where this show takes off. And I've spent the last week or so just talking with several people who are really interested in being on the show, so i'm I'm pretty pumped about that. Um, so the, the first segment of our show will be all about our guest and telling us all about themselves and how they got into fly fishing. Um, so I'm gonna kick this segment off by telling you how I got into fly fishing and how it's helped really you know shape my life. Um, I was raised in Westbrook, Maine, just outside of Portland. Uh, I grew up with a pretty normal childhood, you know, hanging out with neighborhood friends, playing outdoors. I love to play sports. Um, my dad was a practicing attorney in Westbrook, still is. Uh, he loves his work, and I don't think he'll ever retire. Um, he didn't really go fishing or hunting or do much outdoors when he was a kid, but um, or when I was a kid, for that matter, but he, he grew up participating in Boy Scouts, so you know, a little love for the outdoors, a little curiosity for it that definitely has rubbed off on me. And, um, you know, you could probably say that I've gotten him into fishing and hunting, which is, is a little different than how most boys grow up in Maine. Most boys grow up, you know, following their father who likes to hunt, likes to fish. And you talked to a lot of 10 year old boys around Maine and they all want to get their buck or they all want to catch that trout. So my childhood was not quite that way, but it was, it was a great childhood. And, uh, you know, a lot of people say, oh, did your dad fish, or, you know, did your grandfather fish? And, the, you know, for me, the answer was not really. It was just something I kind of got into my own. But, you know, my dad, he loves tagging along with me, and it's it's often him saying, you know, hey, let's go see what's down this dirt road. So, um, you know, in relation to fishing, he's passed on that curiosity to me that I, I think it makes me successful when I'm on the water because I'm often thinking about, you know, doing something out of the norm, which has led me to just... Many fish in the net that I probably wouldn't have caught otherwise. So I definitely owe him for that. Um, elementary and middle school for me was all about sports. Uh, I spent a short stint in Boy Scouts myself, but sports ultimately just took my life over for most of my my youth and adolescence. So um, you know, none of my friends really in, in the outdoor thing. So it wouldn't come until later in life that I'd actually get on the water. Uh, I didn't do much fishing in life until high school. And my mom's cousin, who I've always referred to as, as an uncle, he started to get into largemouth bass fishing and started taking me with him. And little did I know that hammering those largemouth on a pond in Wyndham would start what I'd call a lifelong addiction to fishing. So uh, we used to fish this, this kind of private pond. It was gated. He had some connection there that, you know, were able was able to put us on the water when no one else was really out there. And we just catch a ton of bass and pickerel, so... It was the first thing that I'd done in the outdoors that, that I really found that I liked a lot, and it kind of stuck with me. So I remember after that just getting really into bass fishing and wanting a bass tracker boat and competing in tournaments. But when I was 18, that all really changed. So my, my same uncle, he gave me a graduation gift that consisted of spending a few days up at the, the Frost Pond camps, um, and that's near the Big Eddy on the west branch of the Penobscot River. Uh, he took me up there just before I left for college in August I remember and looking back on it I, I just feel I feel very fortunate for that trip because it ultimately showed me some of those beautiful land and water in our state um, and my mind didn't really know it at the time at the time but I was just I was super curious about that region so if my memory serves me right we fished the pond uh, during this trip and um, for like a day or a day and a half and but what really piqued my interest was the big eddy so if you've never been to the big eddy it's a it's a huge eddy that comes after a ridiculous set of class three and four rapids and if i'm also not mistaken there there might be a set that's class five but don't don't quote me on that not a big rafting guy more of a more of a fishing guy so uh the eddy itself is 100 yards wide and it's chock full of you know salmon and and brook trout so Many summer evenings, you can you can find people out there in drift boats, um, and they're just looking to catch a big salmon during one of the famous caddis hatches there. So, uh, well, during that trip with my uncle at the time, we fished the eddy on two days that we were there, and um, I think we were just throwing out Mep spinner patterns, and we had no shirt on. And we were wet wading in our jeans, you know, just real man stuff. So um a bald eagle was flying over my head i remember and i'll just i'll never forget that feeling of curiosity about how much more a place like that held so um flip to my uncle who was fishing he actually had a fly rod in the car i didn't even notice it until that point in the trip and um someone had given it to him and he he had no idea what he was doing with the thing so he was he was whipping it all around and um again just no idea what he was doing and and little to our, you know, much to our surprise, actually. Um, I just remember him. He just kept talking and he somehow managed to catch a salmon. So neither of us really knew what he did or how he caught it. But I I was definitely intrigued by it. Um, Not so much to the point where I was like, oh, I got to do this right now. But in the back of my brain, that that memory definitely set in there. So if you fast forward a year from there, um, I had spent a semester at school in Philly and I transferred back to St. Joe's in the spring. Um, St. Joe's is a very small private school on Sebago Lake in Windham, Maine. Um, I got a job at Hannaford in the produce department. And with some of my money, I bought my first fly rod that spring. So I'm not sure what caused me to do that. But, um, you know, we, we all look back at things. And, and sometimes we're just not sure why we made those decisions. And I, I still have no idea what made, made me want to look more into fly fishing. So um, there definitely wasn't a certain person. And I'm I'm pretty sure at that point I was just partying and thinking about girls, so I have no idea where fly fishing fit into that fold. Um, I bought some waders at L.L. Bean, and I spent a lot of time that spring on some nearby rivers, namely the Przumsket and the Pleasant River. Um, Those are two stocked rivers in Wyndham. And uh, I remember not having any instruction and not understanding how to cast, and I would literally just let line out into the river and strip it off the reel, letting the river do the rest of the work and, and then I would reel it back up river. Um, I mean, literally had no understanding of how to cast or where where I was supposed to be looking for fish. And crazy enough I actually caught my first trout that way. I was using a blueing olive pattern on a, and I caught a little ten inch brown trout and I remember being super excited, but I also remember thinking, This is not how this works and I got I gotta figure this thing out. So over the next two seasons I actually spent a lot of time at L.L. Bean just picking the brains of those poor guys in the fishing department. I'd usually go up there late at night, and, and uh, whoever was working would just you know, be answering my questions as much as they could stand to talk to me. But I remember uh, it, was, it was like 10.30 on a snowy Friday night, and there was a tall German employee there that was explaining nymphing to me and for well over an hour. And he went on to draw a diagram for me on an orange piece of paper that I held onto for many years. Um, it was a simple two-fly setup, and and, I, uh, and it was a paper that I literally brought with me to the river to kind of figure out how I was going to rig up. So at that time, I, I was able to cast somewhat well, and I, uh, I started nymphing a lot. So, um, you know, those first, those first couple years when you don't really have anybody to go with or no one's taught you, you just have a lot of rid- ridiculous stories, and I do have a lot of ridiculous stories in those trial and error years. Um, I remember not understanding what tip it was, so I just keep buying new leaders. Uh, I remember fishing midday in the scorching July sun on my lunch breaks for trout with obviously no luck. Um, I mean, the list just really goes on. So the summer after my junior year of college, my dad and I, we went out with two guides, and... Um, my now friend, Kevin McKay, we went out on the West Branch of the Penobscot. And uh, Kevin Trasiewski on a back backcountry Brookie Pond. Kevin, I apologize if I uh, butchered your last name. Um, I understand what that's like because people butcher the name Broadus all the time. So, uh, Anyways, I learned more in those two days than I did in the previous three years. And, and that's very true of going out with a guide a lot of the time. Um, they showed me a bunch of things that I didn't exactly absorb at the time. But I look back later, uh, understanding what they showed me. I remember Kevin T was showing me how to tie a blood knot, by candle knot, the night before we went out, and I I couldn't have retied it then for if my life depended on it. But looking back on it, I know exactly why he was he was showing me that. So, um, you know, after that point, I really just started opening up my gazetteer a little more and fishing different spots in the state. Um, I made my way to the Rangely region this, the, that summer after my junior year, and I fished a bunch of famous spots, um, and honestly, I've fished all over the state of Maine, but my roots are pretty much now planted in the western mountains of Maine. Um, I've fished and hunted all over that region, and I plan on continuing to do so until I'm just too old to walk. So, um, I remember being tough going at first over there in Rangely, not really knowing where to go, good spots, when to be there, what to fish. Um, and I pretty much got my ass kicked for the, the first couple years there and I didn't put a lot of trout in the net. But I loved the area and I was super determined just to, to figure it out and I really enjoyed the challenge of that. At so, uh, the end of my senior year I applied for a job in Alaska as a maintenance worker at a famous fly fishing lodge. Um, I got the job in March and then in April I decided to back out because I was dating my, my now wife at the time. So. Um, honey if you're listening you're my best catch yet pun, in, pun intended uh, we have two little girls and I work uh, full time as a teacher in the greater Portland area and she works as a nurse here uh, life is great I love my girls and unlike my childhood I plan on getting them into the outdoors as much as possible Ellie is my, my 4 year old she spent 10 days in my backpack hiking all over uh, the western part of Montana a few years ago and uh, I continue to get them outside and do those things too. No fly fishing yet, but that's 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 coming up this year, along with skiing. So I'm excited about getting the girls in those two things, and that's kind of how I live my life here in Maine. You know, from April to basically November, I fish and I hunt, and then the winter times I ski and I tie flies, and it's a it's a really great lifestyle. Um, and just looking back without my uncle taking me on those trips and taking me out fishing, I don't know that I I would have ever got there. So if there's a kid in your life that you're, you know, you see who's not really getting outdoors and uh, could use it, you know, and I think every kid could use it, boy or girl, you know, bring them out there and just get them fishing. It doesn't matter if it's a spin rod, fly rod, whatever. Um, Cause you never know what type of spark you're lighting inside them. So uh, for the better, the better part of my twenties, I spent like 40 to 50 days each year in the Rangeley region. And I also spent some good time on the, on the West Branch. Um, I have some great memories of my uncle where we'd camp for four or five days at the Big Eddy. I'd get up super early, uh, and hit the water for a few hours. I'd come back to camp and just eat a big breakfast. And then, uh, and then I would just snooze for like several hours at that time. So, um, I you know, I'd sleep in the middle of the day basically and and fish those kind of early mornings, late nights and um we'd get a big early dinner and then we'd get back on the water until around ten PM. Uh just to make sure that I get my best shot at at some big rising landlocks on those famous caddis there. So Um You know, at this point in my life I'm thirty two. I've I've fished many spots in Maine and around the country, but I have to say, again, that the ponds and rivers of the main Western Mountains, they just, they still have me so intrigued. And there's so much land and water there that I've been on, and there's so much that I haven't been on that I'm just always curious about and always trying new things there. So, um, you know, I could fish those waters the rest of my life and just never get tired of it. So when you spend many, you know, when you spend many different, many days and many different seasons on the same pieces of water, you really get to know them well. And I've been doing that for the last nine years, and it's a really fulfilling feeling. So um, I'm currently building a camp there so I can kind of stop bumming a room from some good friends or sleep in the back of my truck. And, um, you know, the 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 next part of my fly fishing life really involves me working as, as a guide, which has been my big focus over the last five years. And um, I'll talk about that later in the podcast. Um But for the next segment, I want to talk about the reason why I started this podcast. So, um, you know, I've been thinking a lot to to sort of talk about starting the podcast. I've been thinking a lot about the waters that I fish over the last few years, like really thinking about them, like almost every day, no matter what the season is. And I'm constantly thinking about ways that they could be improved. Um, You know, my head and my heart just want to dive deeply in the conservation and the legal side of things. But I've learned that it's a big uphill battle for folks in the fishing industry to get others to kind of see things the same way. Not a big politics guy. You'll never hear me talking on the show here about, you know, Democrat, Republican. It's just not my thing. Um, you know, I'm not a big politics guy. I'm also not a big greed guy. I don't, I don't like, you know, folks that are greedy. They're just exposing our land and others and other places for money. I mean, it's, if we all did the right thing, the world would be in a better place, right? And, and everything would be, everything would be awesome. But, you know, a lot of people do things for money or a lot of people do things for fame. And, um, that's when other things kind of get, you know, shortchanged. So, you know, with with all the social media today, we have a great platform to raise awareness about the issues that we have going on with our waters, but it still just never seems to be enough. You know, um, small victories are celebrated amongst interest groups. And as I get older, it really just pains me more to know that there will there just never be a perfect fishing world, like, like the old days, as, as they put it. So, um, you know, I'm part of the local trout and limited chapter and I've gone to some meetings, but vol- volunteer time for me is just, it's just difficult right now um, with, you know, several different jobs and having a young family and, um, you know, I'm, and, and also I'm just, I'm not up to snuff on legislation. And I've, I've had some great conversations with, with fellow anglers and, um, you know, folks and biologists even, but I've, I, I always feel beaten down after hearing like the many, many failed attempts of folks before me who are exploring these same issues. And, you know, I, I'd really like to talk with people who have been fly fishing for a long time and you can speak to the issues we have with things like dams and overstocking fish. And, um, you know, there's a lot of hot button topics that I'd like to bring up and just see if if we could make some change. Uh, Every little small bit counts. So I don't feel super knowledgeable about these issues, and I really, truly want to learn more. So that's one of my biggest reasons for starting this podcast. Um, My other reason for starting the show is to raise awareness about what great fly fishing opportunities we have in the state of Maine. I mean, we have wild fish here. We have stocked fish. We have green fish. We have trout, stripers, pike, muskie, smallmouth bass the list continues after that and you know we we have unbelievably diverse fisheries and I want to help spread the word to put Maine on the map um, you know I spent some time in Montana 3 years ago and I just I couldn't believe how much fly fishing is part of their economy it, it it puts all these small towns on the map and I was blown away by the angler support that they have there I mean their bigger river bigger rivers are flourishing they're full of trout and they have, like, industrial drift boat launches every five miles. I mean, that's something we definitely don't have in Maine, you know. Um, we're we're so known for tourism here in the state of Maine, but everyone wants to go to Acadia National Park. They want to eat lobster. But they want to go to Portland and eat at some of the restaurants there. And some people want to go hiking or camping or boating. And But really, honestly, fishing doesn't even fall in the top five activities of tourists in Maine by by a long shot. So, you know, everyone says Maine – Can't be like Montana because we don't have the glacial mountains to keep trout streams cool all year round. And we have tons of dams on our river. But I mean, I think we just need to start opening people's eyes to all the species that we have to fish for here Um, because fly fishing isn't just about trout anymore. Uh, You know, with that being said, Montana is a place that kind of stopped stocking back in the 60s or 70s and they just focus on habitat restoration and that's something we could do here in Maine that would be super helpful I mean they don't have nearly the number of dams that we have uh, in our state here from our from our logging industry and now being used for hydroelectricity but at the same time it's we we have we have options here right we can fish for other species or we could also look at habitat restoration um, and focus our efforts there so that's stuff I really want to get into. Um, and I really want to talk to people who are super knowledgeable, not just me with my opinion. So, um, you know, I mean, people say the Montana wasn't all that popular for fly fishing until a river runs through. It came out and, uh, the movie, and there was this aura about everyone wanting to just catch a trout on the fly rod. So I think it's time that we need to show people how great it is to fish for smallmouth bass, for stripers or pike, especially here in Maine. I mean, you can do all that in one day. Um, I think a lot of people are just unaware of all we have to offer. I mean, where else can you catch stripers at first light in the flats? You can hop in a drift boat right after that for a few hours late morning and just slam smallmouth like you read about. And then you can hop in your truck and head two hours into the mountains to catch an evening hatch for big brook trout and landlocked salmon. I mean, where else in the world can you do that? It's not There's not a lot of places like that. So um, Maine is great, and it has a lot of great, different species of fish for people to fish for but at the same time uh i don't feel like it's very well known amongst the rest of the the fly fishing world so it's part of my hopes here on the show also um we want to help make maine a a bigger fly fishing destination destination for new and for serious anglers uh there are some unbelievably knowledgeable and passionate folks who work in fly fish here in maine and i'd love to have them as guests on the show you know people come here to maine and they instantly think of going to a place like Ello bean and Nothing against L.O. Bean, but we have so many great hidden fly fishing gems in the state. Uh, I've already talked to several major players um, and hope to get them on this, the show soon. Um, I'm going to be with Greg Labonte of Maine Fly Guys, Nate White, who runs Northwoods Fly uh, Company. We're going to talk with Josh Josh Thielen, who owns uh, All Points Fly Shop in South Portland. And those are just a few people I've lined up for the next few episodes, and I'm have a long list of people who I'm going to be reaching out to after that. So, um, you know, my plan is to talk to fly shop owners and guides and fly fishing interest groups, sporting camp owners, professional fly tires, uh, conservation groups, like our local TU chapters. Uh, I want to talk to fly fishing social media, and that's I want to talk to biologists. I want to talk to women fly fishing groups. And we also have people in Maine who create fly rods and vices right here. In the US, right here in the state of Maine. So, um, those are the people I want to get on the show. So, my goal is to publish around one episode a month. I hope this is the most talking that I'll ever do. And I'm excited to just to sit down and interview people and just listen um, to them and help you listen to some people who, who can really help promote Maine's fisheries for the world to see. So, my intent is not to talk about certain waters, talk about best spots, time of year. But instead, it's really just to get some some big time Maine fly fishing folks to come on the show and spread the word about how great Maine's diverse fisheries truly are. Um, so, those are the first two segments of my show. The la- the last segment to kind of end the show today, I wanted to wanted to kind of talk to people about a somewhat gray area, and that's about you know how you can get into you know guiding, and I want to talk about how I got into guiding and and what it's been like to you know guide fly fishing trips here in Maine. So. Um, I started teaching middle school math in the in, uh, greater Portland area in 2013, and I had tons of fishing conversations with my fellow teachers. His name is Vince Matthews. Um, you know, when you work at a place and you like to hunt or fish or do something outside of school, it's always nice to find other people who can help you kind of pass those times of the day when you want to get your mind off your work for a little bit and just kind of take a break and talk about some of your passions and things you like to do outside of work, so... You know, Vince is, Vince is a guy who grew up. He grew up in the Portland area and he spent a lot of his life fishing and hunting. Um, I don't think fly fishing was something he'd done a lot of. Uh, and I definitely don't think he thought he'd get into it as much as he has now. But, um, you know, we, we first started out by just uh, talking about spreading our, our talent of teaching, basically. In the summers, you know, teach people how to fish and share some of Maine's true gems with them. So. Uh, at the time he was working as a driving instructor in the summers, and I was working for a local contractor and those were just two jobs we didn't really particularly love um, The more we talked about becoming guides, the more serious we became and We had all these little business plans to start off and um, but none of that was real until we took the test so uh that winter, I decided to take my guide test and i uh I passed, and Vince soon followed um uh, Maine has a really interesting guide program and the, the test really isn't all that easy. Uh, it's said that back in the day you became a maine guide if a game warden vouched for you. In some states, you don't even have to have a guide license, but you can't guide without working for an outfitter who you have to pay a certain percentage of your trips to. Uh, the system in Maine is interesting because it's basically like the Wild West. you know um, People often contact our fly shops for trips. But we really don't have a lot of fly shops here, and some of our fly shops don't even really offer guide services. I mean, most of them do, but but some of them don't. So, you know, when people are looking for a guide in Maine, they look on the internet for guides sometimes. But I mean, if you're not high up on Google, it's not likely anyone is going to find you. Um, so Vince and I, you know, we started a website, we got our business rolling, and that first year we had we had two whole clients. Uh, one was from word of mouth, and one somehow found us through the internet. So we knew hardly anybody in the industry and we realized the internet was just, it was not going to be our best friend for business. So we'd have to hit the ground and uh, get to know some of the major fly fishing folks in Maine. Um, You know, the majority of guides who get a lot of trips, they've just, they've been doing it for a long time Um, or they're in really great spots where there's, there's awesome resources by, Uh, but to be honest with you, word of mouth is, is by far the best type of advertising here in Maine. So you know, if you're looking at guiding, if you know if you do well enough, people are going to rebook trips with you, and uh, you'll you'll build your business that way. And um, you know, Maine's a tough place to to make a living as a full time guide. And and some guys have told me that they're full time, but I got to think that they have like a sugar mama or some some sort of inheritance or something because you know if you do the math, most guys go from like Memorial Day to about Columbus Day, which is about 150 days. Um, you know, if you're able to book 120 of those, you could make around $4,000 to $8,000, but that doesn't include food, gear, gas, insurance expenses, among other things. You'd really be lucky to make around, you know, $40,000 at the end of the day. And, um, you know, you'd be left with very little time to enjoy your spring, your summer, your fall. And that doesn't include your own personal health care, insurance, and uh, retirement stuff. Um, you know, and the other piece of puzzle is, is, that, um, the demand for fly fishing guides doesn't seem to be as high here in Maine as other States. And, uh, you know, we just, we don't have the big rivers that hold hundreds of tr- trout per square mile. And that's really due to the, a lot of the dams we have here in Maine. But, you know, out of the many miles that we have on our biggest rivers, very short sections of them hold decent numbers of trout and salmon. So we want to grow the fly fishing industry here in maine we need to help spread the word about our smallmouth fishing um, and some of our other species and kind of also help eliminate some of those dams to help create better trout habitat and you could everything could kind of coexist so um you know getting back to my story of, of guiding um you know fast forward five years to now vince and i have guided hundreds of people for brook trout salmon smallmouth bass pike it's a huge part of our lives, and we've we've really met so many incredible people over this past half decade. Um, I've been involved with Eldridge Brothers Fly Shop in southern Maine, and I've taught uh, beginners fly tying classes there. I'm going to be doing that again this winter. It's a four-week class. It's great. Uh, we've made great relationships with fellow guides and fly shops throughout the state. You know, running a guiding business certainly has its challenges, but we feel great about the job that we're doing when folks are are coming back to fish us year after year, so it's a tough business to crack into. And, um, you know, for us it's about being on the water with people and teaching them new things and giving people opportunities to catch some really remarkable fish that they may otherwise not even know about or have no idea how to catch. So, um, you know, it's pretty often when I'm up in the range of the region. I hear the phrase from people, well, that's the biggest brook trout I've ever caught. And, you know, I love that about Maine. Um, I mean, where else can you catch, you know, almost Labrador-sized brook trout in the U.S.? We truly have awesome and unique fly fishing opportunities here in Maine. And I I just, I can't wait to go back to the show a little bit. I can't wait to share some of the most influential fly fishing folks that know these Maine waters so well. So um, the name of our guiding business is Headin' North North Guide Service, H-E-A-D-I-N with an apostrophe, and then North Guide Service. Uh, go check us out on Instagram or Facebook. Give us a follow. You can find us at mainflyfishingguides.com. All one word. Um, we have some huge things in the work, in the work, in the works, <laughs> like offering free lodging for guests who book two days. And uh, we'll be getting a drift boat style raft for the 2020 season to offer some some great fishing and some harder to reach places. Um, I traded in my my high drift boat uh just this past year and looking to get a raft so that i can kind of get to some spots that aren't it's just hard because again we don't have a lot of drift boat opportunities here in maine because we don't have a lot of launches for them because it's not a huge part of our our economy and what we do here and uh, those are things that i would love to see change over my, my lifetime so um anyways we hope that you enjoy the the podcast and support the guests that we have on the show Thank you for listening to this episode of the Maine Fly Fishing Podcast. Join me next time as I meet with my first guest, Greg Labonte of Maine Fly Guys, and we're going to talk about his new venture as well as proper fish handling, fish stocking in the state of Maine, which is always a hot topic, and uh, the influence of social media on the fly fishing industry.